Well, I want to welcome all of you joining us from our Quakertown campus and say hi to you all. As you just saw in the video, our next series is called Reality Check. And we're going to do a reality check on different areas of life that every one of us need. We're going to look at relationships and finance and schedule and fear. And how about a reality check when it comes to God and what he desires? So we invite you back uh, starting next Sunday when we do a reality check on the different areas of life to see how we can cut through the fake news and the deceit and figure out how we can live in sync with reality. But with that in mind, all of reality is centered in Easter. And so in a real sense, our Reality Check series starts this morning by looking at Easter 2018. Now I have a confession to make. Easter has never really made the top holidays of the year list in my mind. I'm not sure if that's true for you, but Christmas always at the top of the list, right? You got off from school, you got gifts, you got to give gifts. And then the last day of school, that was always a good holiday, not an official holiday, but that was like the best holiday because then you were out of school for a while. I even liked the Jewish holidays when you start school again. It was kind of like you ease into the academic year, right? You go to a week or so, then you get a day or two off, then you get another day or two off. And then there's always a New Year's, you know, a celebration. Easter, not so much. You know, growing up, my mother always made me get dressed up. And now my wife makes me get dressed up. <laughs> and I remember one, uh, one occasion in particular, my mother made me wear a dress shirt and a bow tie, a blazer, and dress shorts. And that was really a problem because I was home from college on spring break <laughs> and I looked like a little Bermuda boy kind of running around. And then you cook eggs. They stink up the whole house, right? Then you dye them and your fingers are colored for the next few days. I really don't like chocolate unless it's wrapped around peanut butter in a Reese cup. Jelly beans, that's not my thing. They stick in your teeth. And that plastic grass, what? that's just nasty. What's up with that? So Easter really never made the top holiday list. But I want to remind you this morning that Easter really is important. And Easter really is significant. And whether or not it made your top holiday list, you need to understand the importance and the significance of Easter. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do that by asking and answering three questions. Our first question is, what? So what actually happened on Easter? Well, the resurrection happened. Uh, it usually starts about two weeks before Easter for me, maybe three, when geniuses here from Calvary Church will come up and say, Sir Charles, what are you speaking on for Easter? <laughs> oh, I'm speaking on the tribulations of Jonah. I'm speaking on the tears of Jeremiah, the travails of... What do you mean, what am I speaking about on Easter? It's the resurrection. I'm speaking about the resurrection. But that presents a problem. Because we live in a world where we don't see resurrections, right? I mean, you go to a funeral, the person stays dead. You know, you don't see them walking around the next week. You don't meet them in the grocery store. But that resurrection was just as shocking and surprising to the first group of people. And when you read through the New Testament, and the resurrection's kind of all over the New Testament, you find an interesting thing that shows us the writers were writing history, not fantasy. You ever read a kind of a technical journal? For example, if you ever pick up the New England Journal of Medicine, don't ask me why you would, but if you'd pick it up, um, you'd notice at the bottom of every page there would be a lot of small print 
footnotes, right? Or maybe if you have a physics textbook or a chemistry textbook in school, you usually have end notes. I prefer them at the bottom of the page, but they put them at the end of the chapter. You've got to keep your finger there. It's like a whole thing, trying to read the chapter. Now, if you're reading a more simple book, suppose you're reading Pokey the Puppy or The Cat in the Hat or Alexander's Terrible, Horrible Day. You know, they're on your reading list, right? No footnotes in those. You ever notice? Pokey the Puppy does not have footnotes, but the New England Journal of Medicine has footnotes. Why is that? Because when you're reading a journal, when you're reading an article that is credible, they cite other sources to prove their point. Interestingly, when the, when the people, those first witnesses, show up at the tomb for the resurrection, Jesus isn't there. And here's just one of the places that we read that in Luke 24. The angel says to, those, to that first group of people, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's as if the angel says, duh, he's not here. Didn't he tell you he was going to rise from the dead? You're looking for him here. He is not here. He is risen. But that's not fantasy because there are footnotes all over the text. Now, in the New Testament, the footnotes don't come at the bottom of the page and they don't come at the end of the book. The footnotes are in the text. That's how the ancient writers did it. They're citing credible witnesses and sources right in the text. Here's one of my favorites. Jesus is uh, making his way, carrying a cross, making his way to, to Calvary where he's going to be crucified. And here's what we read. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon. Now, why are they telling you where this guy's from? Well, because Simon was a really popular name, kind of like Bob. You know? Here's Bob. Well, there's a million Bob. Oh, yeah, Bob from Cyrene. Simon. But there were probably a few other Simons in Cyrene. And so the author says, Mark says, Simon from Cyrene, you know, the father of Alexander and Rufus. I would love to meet a Rufus. I, you know, I've never met a, I've met a few German shepherds named Rufus. I never met a kid named Rufus. Maybe it's Alexander the kid and Rufus the dog. I don't know. But notice what Mark's doing. He's giving you a source. He's saying, you don't have to believe me that this happened. Go to Cyrene, ask for Rufus's daddy, and you can talk to Simon. Or maybe Simon's not there anymore. Little Rufus is now Big Rufus. And you can talk to him about what happened. They were there. They saw Jesus carry the cross. They saw him crucified. Footnotes in the text. Eyewitness accounts. Here's another line of evidence that always kind of strikes me. Women. Women. Do you realize that the first witnesses of the resurrection were all women? Here's a passage. From Luke's Gospel. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. You'll be saying, well, Charles, big deal. Yeah, you don't understand. Women were not credible witnesses back then. I mean, can you imagine such an unenlightened time when women would not be taken seriously? I mean, how much, how much more advanced we are these days, right? But women's were, women were not very credible. They couldn't testify in a court. So if you're going to make up a story, if you're going to pretend that Jesus rose from the dead when he really didn't, would you create the first group of witnesses to be women who aren't very credible? Of course not. The first group of people to witness the resurrection were witnesses, and they then go and tell the other disciples. And look what happens. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So they then run back to the tomb and then they believe. But notice, history 
footnotes and women. This stuff really happened. So what's Easter about? It's about resurrection. And you've got to kind of file that away because if you don't get the what of Easter, none of the rest is going to make sense. Well, that's our first question. Second question is uh, why? Why? You know, it's one thing to know what happened. It's another thing to know why it happened. To know the implications, to know the rationale, to know the purpose. Why did the resurrection happen? Well, there's kind of a backstory to it. Let me explain it like this. A little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus shows up and he teaches like no one ever taught. And he loves like no one ever loved. And he lives like no one ever lived. And it seemed like the pinnacle of his adventure came the Sunday before Easter. He rides into Jerusalem and everybody is proclaiming him king and calling him Messiah. And they're expecting that he's going to kind of overthrow Rome, take over and make this world right. But he refuses to be the kind of king that they want. And things go south pretty quickly. And by Friday, he's dead. You see, the backstory to resurrection is death. You don't need a resurrection if you stay alive. Jesus is dead. And then he's alive again on Sunday morning. We just did that in the what? Well, why did all of that happen? Well, it's all about substitution. That's why. Substitution. Now, you know about substitutes, right? Can you still believe that the Eagles won the Super Bowl? I mean, this is great, right? I mean, I still wake up and I can't believe it. I say, you're kidding, right? But then it's real. Uh, but we know about substitutes because the Eagles winning. Carson goes down. Nick is the substitute, and he does it. We know about substitutes, right? We also know about how many pitchers were in the substitute column last night in that fiasco, right? Um, we know about substitutes. A few uh, nights ago, Kim and I went out to dinner. We went to Casey's in Hatfield. That's because I only take Kim to the real high-end places. And so uh, I ate semi-healthy. I had a uh, chicken Caesar wrap and onion rings. You can't eat completely healthy. My system would rebel, right? So I have a lot of onion rings. I eat all the onion rings, uh, maybe half at a chicken Caesar wrap. Kim always eats healthy. She eats her thing. Well, as the waitress brings, or brings our check, she says, oh, by the way, the couple over there that left already, they paid your bill. And I immediately thought, wow, if I didn't know somebody was paying my bill, I would have eaten a lot more than that. <laughs> I mean, I would have ordered meals for the week, right? We would have had giant doggy bags going home. And my second thought was, that's kind of a picture of the gospel, isn't it? Um, I incurred a debt. I ate. Kim ate. We had a debt. But a substitute paid our debt. That's pretty cool, right? And so I want to tell all of you on this Easter morning, I have other debts. And if you would like to meet me after the service right up here with your checkbook, we can, you can be my substitute. I have a mortgage. I got like a car thing. We can work out this. And you'd really understand Easter. <laughs> but you have debts too, don't you? Just think for a minute in your head of the debts that you have. Um, do you have a mortgage? Do you have a car loan? Do you have school loans? Do you have credit card debt? Do you have a home equity loan? Do you have a line of credit? You probably have some debts, right? Now, I hate to do this to you on Easter morning, but as best you can, don't write it down. People around you would look at you funny. But um, just calculate in your head, roughly, the amount of debt you have. What's your total debt? It's income tax season. You should have this stuff in your head. 
your total debt. You got it? Just calculate it. Now, multiply that number by infinity. And that's the amount of debt that we've incurred before God. And what that Easter story is, is that Jesus takes all of your debt and he says, I'll be your substitute. I'll pay all of your debt. And in return, I'll give you my track record. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is in 2 Corinthians. Paul says it like this. God made him, Jesus, watch the substitution. God made Jesus who knew no sin, right? He didn't have any debt. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see the substitution? Jesus says, I'll be your substitute. I'll take your debt. Oh, yeah. And then you can have my track record of everything that I've done good. Wow. Now, how happy would you be when somebody pays your debt? Well, if somebody buys you dinner, that's really cool, right? You're thankful for that. And if somebody paid off your car, that would really be a cause for celebration. If somebody paid off your mortgage, you'd be happy all week. Well, how happy would you be if somebody paid off your debt times infinity and gives you all of the wealth that they've accumulated, somebody like Jesus? Why does Easter happen? Substitution. That's the story. So we've got what? Resurrection. We've got why, substitution. We still have one more question. How? So, like, how does Easter work? Now, I'm not going to explain to you how the resurrection occurred. I have no idea, right? God kind of did that. But I can tell you how Easter gets transacted. I can tell you how the substitution thing actually transacts. Reception. So we've got resurrection, substitution, reception. They're the three kind of words at Christmas. Now, the reception comes in two parts. The first part is you have to admit the flaws. Now, I've been up here for a few minutes, and I've been carefully looking at all of you, and I can tell you all have some flaws. Uh, and you're trying to hide them, but I, I can tell. Uh, let me ask, how many of you have a favorite picture of yourself? Raise your hand. You have a favorite picture or two? Yeah, they're the ones you post right on your front page of Facebook, right? Because you, you look good in that picture. Why do you look good? Why is it your favorite picture? Because it hides what you really look like. Right? I'm not joking. How many of you have favorite clothes? Why are they your favorite clothes? Because they conceal parts of your body that you don't want other people to notice. Now, look, I'm not just picking on you. I have a few flaws. I have a crease in my head. I've got love handles that, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about all that, but we've all got some flaws, right? And we do our best in pictures with clothing, you know, by sucking in our gut. We do our best to conceal and hide the flaws, but there's a problem. As long as you're concealing, you're not receiving. But, you know, physical flaws are superficial and pretty insignificant. We also have some relational flaws, don't we? God says, love one another, love people. And you know what love actually means? To put their interests, needs, and wants ahead of your own. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my youngest daughter Megan's over, and Kim and Megan announced that we are going to the mall. And I immediately knew that I was included in the we. 
and I knew the next hour or so was not going to be real pleasant. But there was snow on the ground. I couldn't golf or anything, right? Okay, so we go to the mall. And they kind of bribed me by saying, we'll go to Grub Burger. So we go in, and Grub Burger's great, right? So we go in, Grub Burger, we have dinner, and it's good. And then it kind of began to go the wrong direction when they say, let's go to Banana Republic. You need some clothes. <laughs> so we walk out of Grub Burger. We make our way to Banana Republic. And in case you couldn't tell, their taste and my taste in clothing, very different. Very different. What they like, I'm not buying. What I like, they walk out, right? So we buy one or two things. We have a little bit of a fight. As we're leaving, they say, well, we're going downstairs in the mall to do a little more shopping. At that point, I announce, well, I'm going over to Golf Galaxy because I've got a gift card that's been burning a hole in my pocket for like two days, right? So I figured the timing could probably be about right. They'll go downstairs, walk 20 yards to a store where they were going. They'll go in, shop for a little bit, come out. I'll ride through the parking lot, across 309, go in, pick out some golf shoes, drive back across 309, and we'll probably sync up the timing just perfectly. Well, I make my way to the parking lot. I drive across 309, make a couple of red lights. It's pretty slow. Walk in, walk over to the shoes, and I can't decide. Do I want the foot joys? Do I want the Under Armors? I, I go up to the counter. I'm talking to the guy. Eventually, he persuades me. I get the Under Armour shoes, and I'm really happy because my gift card almost pays for all the shoes, and I'm happy, and I walk. And by now, I'm in the store like 15 minutes, right? So I'm thinking, oh, no, they're going to be waiting for me. They're going to be complaining. I go back across 309, get another red light, pull up to the door where I dropped them off. They're not in there. So I call Kim. I call Kim at 737. Not that I was keeping count, but it was 7.37. No answer. I call Megan at 7.38. No answer. But it must be bad reception and sort her in or something. What's up? So I pull behind some parked cars because I'm not going to be there long, right? I'm sitting there waiting, waiting. At 7.41, Kim calls me back. We're in line. We'll be out in a couple minutes. Now, just for a frame of reference, a couple is two, right? If you see a couple holding hands, that's not 50 people hugging. That's two people holding hands. So I'm thinking, I'm good. I'm, park I mean, I'm sitting behind these parked cars because they're only going to be a couple, 90 seconds now, right? 7.50, 7.55, 8 o'clock, 8.05, nothing. People are pulling in, parking their cars. They're going into Wegmans, doing their week's worth of grocery shopping. They're coming out, unloading four shopping carts full of stuff. It's now 8.15. No, Kim, no. I'm not calling. I'm, not. I'm riding around. I'm driving through the snow. People are honking. I back out, so I go in. At 8.21, I get a phone call. We're on our way out. You better be at the door. They walk out, get in the car, and they're happy. <laughs> they didn't notice or they didn't care that I sat for 50 minutes waiting for them to. I had nowhere to go, nothing to do, but what I wanted was a higher priority than what they, now, you don't have stories like that, do you? Yeah, but stories like that show us that we've got kind of relational flaws, and they're a whole lot more significant than the physical flaws. Oh, yeah. But we also have moral flaws, because God not only says love other people, he says, love me 
In other words, put my interests ahead of your own. That's how life makes sense. Put my priorities ahead of yours. And if we've accumulated a fair bit of relational debt, just imagine the moral debt that we've accumulated. You see, step one in the whole reception thing is admitting the flaws. Now, once you've done the hard work of admitting the flaw, and that really is the hard part, isn't it? But once you've admitted your flaws and your failures, the second part of reception is you accept the gift. And what's the Easter gift? Jesus, our substitute. The Easter gift is Jesus took your debt. He took your flaws and failures, and he paid for them, and he gives you all of his track record. You accept the gift. See, there's a little bit of, for, of a formula in this Easter deal. What plus why plus how equals hope. Resurrection plus substitution plus reception equals hope. That's the story of Easter. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of Jesus. So if you want hope, hope, you need to know about the what and the why and the how. And hope can be yours. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the hope of the Easter story, the hope that's found in Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that this just wouldn't be a typical Easter when we come and sing a few songs about resurrection and we hear about the what and nothing really changes. May this be an Easter when for the first time or for the millionth time we realize what Easter is and we taste that hope in a new way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.